Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. On BTS Podcast, I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do. On this episode, I am really excited to have on Jordan Reese. Jordan is the Director of Global Advertising and Audience Development at 1RPM. We recorded this episode right as she was leaving the orchard and heading to 1RPM for a role as product manager of US, Latin, and urban markets. After just a few months at 1RPM, she took on her current role as Director of Global Advertising and Audience Development. This episode was literally recorded a year ago, so if we sound less distressed about life, now you know why. Our conversation focuses on her work that was done at the Orchard and her roles prior to that, so just keep that in mind as you're listening. I learned so much from Jordan. She has so much enthusiasm about her work and the artists she supports and the partnerships that she builds, and there's just so much juiciness to this conversation, so I'm really excited to finally share it. If you want to hear more music-specific episodes, I highly recommend you find me on Breaker. Breaker is a really great podcast streaming platform. I love it. It's one of my favorite ways to listen to podcasts um, for a variety of reasons. They have the ability to skip silences on episodes that you've downloaded. They have a playlist functionality. So if you find me, Lene Cook, on Breaker, uh, follow me. And then also just browse my podcast. You'll see music-specific playlists and strategy-specific and strategy specific playlist and that way you can kind of just navigate different conversations i highly recommend just every music related guest i've had on has been great jayhawk was i think the first either jayhawk or drew DeCaro. i can't remember who was first on the podcast but they're both good friends of mine and they're amazing at what they do drew is a guitarist and executive producer jayhawk is a producer and dj michael badal was also on and i have a few more episodes coming out which i'm really excited about including a really great conversation with open mike eagle so do feel free to browse through these conversations. Oh, I also had, I'm silly. The first music guest I had on was Matt FX, who was the music supervisor for Broad City. And he also makes music, but we mostly talk about his work in music supervision. So do feel free to browse those. Jordan and I like briefly mention the band that I'm in. And if you want to check that out, we are called Breakfast Tacos. Please do stream our music. We would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to support this podcast, it is very easy to do. You can go to anchor.fm slash BTS podcast and become a monthly contributor or supporter, whichever term you like better. Or you can just Venmo me at Lene-Cook, L-Y-N-A-E-C-O-O-K. I won't turn down the funds. Your coffee money is greatly appreciated. Other ways you can support this podcast are by using promo codes for some of my favorite services, including Hotel Tonight. If you use LCOOK61, when you sign up, you will save on your first booking with Hotel Tonight. I love them. Their loyalty program is great, and I use them whenever I stay at hotels. Someday, when it feels safe to get a massage again, I highly recommend using Soothe. They bring massage therapists to you, and you can book the type of massage that you want if you would like a man or woman as a massage therapist, which um, I know makes a lot of us feel safer when we can choose. I'm a big fan. I've gotten one massage since the pandemic, and uh, she was really great about it. (laughs) I uh, insisted on wiping down the table again if she didn't mind, and she didn't mind, which was great. And we both wore masks, and it worked out fine. Not that I'm recommending it. I'm just saying this is a workaround that I found when I was in desperate need. Anyways, 
please enjoy our conversation. Thank you so much. Please do subscribe, rate, review, follow me, follow BTS podcast at BTS, the podcast across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Thanks again for listening. Hey, what's up? You're listening to hashtag BTS podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. If you hear some weird sounds during this episode, it's because I'm cat sitting for a friend. So there may be a cat joining us. Um, if we're lucky. Today I have on Jordan Reese. Hi, Jordan. Hi. Uh, Jordan and I have known each other for years from way back in her LA Weekly days. And now she is uh, doing a lot of different other things. Um, so she's a product manager. Jordan, can you explain what that means in your world? Because your world's music and that's very different. Totally. So I'm transitioning to a new role in product management, working specifically on US Latin and urban releases, basically rolling out multi-tiered marketing campaigns around their album or singles um, and working with radio, PR, and other teams to basically centralize our strategy and execute how we're going to roll this out. So a lot of that is relationship-based then. Completely. Totally. How do you, um, so you say multi-tiered and you mentioned a few different uh, different like pieces of those tiers. I guess I just think so much about like, do you keep like a checklist? Like what do you keep to make sure that you're like doing the right, like so you don't miss anything? Because that's a lot to keep track of. Totally. So typically it's going to be like a, like a, like a, really straight up Excel document with just tons of tabs laying out every single tier that we're going to be exploring with details sort of broken down there. Okay. And how did you, because you were at LA Weekly and I, if, when we met Mm -hmm. and what was your role there? Remind me. So I was a multimedia account executive, um, selling basically again, like multi-tiered marketing campaigns between like digital print and sponsorships, um, working with brands and local retailers to kind of help amplify their voice within the area. And then did you go straight from there into music? Yeah, I actually, prior to LA Weekly, I had started off in music. Um, I took a pivot for a, a couple years to sort of, you know, stretch my legs in media and see if I wanted to go down that route. Um, but ultimately ended up leaving LA Weekly for an opportunity working at a legacy rock band management firm as their in-house marketing manager. Okay, and then from there you went to the Orchard. Is that correct? Uh, no, I actually I left uh, I left that job and moved to New York City, uh, where I took a couple years working at a major PR agency. Um, at their new digital branch, um, working as a as a as a as a strategist with like gl- uh, gl- global brands like L'Oreal and Sports okay. Illustrated. I remember that. Now. Yes, yes, totally. it's all it's all coming back. Yes. And I have definitely fangirled out over Jordan's work in the recent years, especially. Um, she's worked with Daddy Yankee, The Raconteurs, David Crosby, System of a Down, and like those hit so many different sort of pockets of culture as well as like our own lives like I vividly remember each of those acts in different phases of my life yeah specifically the summer of gasolina (laughs) the summer we can never forget (laughs) um I was in Mexico for two weeks and then in Costa Rica for a week shortly after that that summer and it was like the song of my summer and it was a joy yeah, I mean, I grew up in South Florida, so Daddy Yankee and reggaeton was, like, a really big influence on, on my childhood. Like, you can't turn on the radio or drive down the street in South Florida without hearing some sort of that flavor. Um, so getting to work with, 
a legacy Latin artist like him, like it was everything. Uh, I love that. And so you had worked with him specifically to like hit a very specific goal. Can you talk a little bit more about that work? Totally. So specifically in the Latin genre, um, YouTube is such a powerful, you know, place where most of most fans within those markets are going there to listen to their music. Um, YouTube reigns supreme in Latin America. And I just really have gotten to work with those artists over the last year to really hone in on what their strategy will be on that platform. Um, and working with them to make sure that these 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 music video releases are reaching the right fans. So what like what does that mean in your world? Uh, basically, like highly strategic advertising and mark and 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 marketing campaigns um, on on platform. Okay, very cool. And um, what was the goal? Because it's pretty badass what you guys did. Yeah, so we were able to work with Daddy Yankee over the last year to help him uh, be the first artist of 2019 to break one billion views. It was really incredible, and Konkama has been really the song of like this past year. That's amazing. I love it. Um, and also just being a big Daddy Yankee fan myself. Totally. And yeah. Um, and then you'd also worked on the Rack and Tours, David Crosby, System of a Down. Can you talk a little bit more about like? how you work with clients um, to find a goal and then meet that goal. Because I think it's interesting the different, you know, each of these artists has such different goals for their market or who they want to be their market, etc. So what are the ways that you've worked with clients to like set strategic goals? Totally. So it really is dependent on the size of the artist and where they're at in their career. But usually that will start with either a sit down with the artist and management themselves or management and, and, and the label to really flesh out, you know, what the next six months to a year looks like for that artist as far as touring and releases and appearances and, you know, things that we can really build stories around. Um, and then from there, we'll sort of dig in and figure out, you know, who it is we want to reach, what it is we want our message to say, and exactly how we're going to get there. Um, so really looking at the sort of like big boulder of a goal in, in front of us and then breaking it down to little rocks um, and then executing our strategy based on that on those goals. Very cool. What's been the most rewarding part about um, your work? I think... I think when you have these meetings and you're able to sit with an artist and sit and look at them eye to eye and really talk about like their passion and what they see their creative vision being and you're able to take that and put it to pen and paper and see these ideas come to fruition, I think that is something that is so fulfilling and rewarding um, and then getting to go to these live like live shows and really see like these albums like come, come, come to life, um, I can't really explain how great that feels. I, one thing that I love about that is that so um, I've had a series of different strategists on the podcast. Uh, I've had Genevieve Asensio, she's a VP at Golan, and then my friend Megan, who's the head of strategy at Analog Folk. And um, one thing that I love, and actually, in fact, Jessica Couch, who isn't a strategist in the way that we are, but she's a fit technology strategist, is that the common thread throughout the conversations is truly like being able to hit that um, sort of like spot in a Venn diagram crossover where the brand like your company and then consumer needs or wants or whatever like where all of those are being met and like you can find success for each of those is the most rewarding thing to be able to bring that success and like the reason I highlight that is because I think it's so important that people remember that like that's the also the most human part of our jobs like as a strategist 
seeing the actual like happiness and excitement is literally the most human thing like in general in the world right and then also being able to bring that out and go like in your case right like getting to see people are at these shows super excited and like in Megan and Genevieve's case like getting to see people on social or people at experiential events or whatever because Genevieve works on Mountain Dew so she Mm -hmm. gets to be at like a lot of events um and then Megan I think she works on a few different major U.S. brands and getting to see a lot of that conversation on social that like people are genuinely excited about this type of stuff. So it's really, it's not like, which is interesting because so much of our success is measured on something like a view, mm-hmm. which like there's not a lot of humanity behind. You can't put a KPI to happiness. Totally, exactly. But then when you can go in person and see like, oh, people are so happy to be here, that happiness is something that's just like super, there's nothing like it because you really get to feel like, oh, we were all a part of doing this. And it's, yeah. I bring that up just because I think in in meeting rooms, a lot of times we tend to get so KPI focused and forgetting about like the really emotional part that drives us to do our jobs, but then also drives people to at that purchase, like that point of purchase, you know. For me, the beauty is that, I mean, my dad was a drummer. I always knew I wanted to work in music from six on. I said I wanted to work at, at a label. And I think because first and foremost, I'm, I'm a fan and I know the experience that I always dreamed of when I was younger, being able to work with legacy artists to put together those fan experiences um, and, and put together those creative contests and sort of those campaigns um, and seeing the reaction of the fan. I think that has definitely been one of the most like fulfilling parts of getting to do this. So your current role at the orchard is global on platform advertising manager and you're moving into a product manager role specifically for us latin and urban markets is that correct correct so can you talk a little bit about the differences between those roles like what you're going to be doing totally so what i was what i was doing at my most recent job um was really working with our global teams which you know were about 20 to 30 of them around the world to really help them strategize and execute on ad- on platform advertising campaigns, which is basically anything on Spotify and YouTube, um, and working with their teams to really amplify the message. Um, what I'm going to be doing is really sort of a wider scope, but also using those skills um, to build out these multi-tiered marketing campaigns, working with the other teams within co- my new company. Okay, and so... One thing that I think about just because over the years that even just we've known each other, there's become so many more options for advertising Mm -hmm. and you get a lot of hype and then there's some validity to that, right? Like I think about um, Spotify maybe five years ago, people weren't prioritizing as much in their ad strategy, but now it's absolutely like an integral part of so many people's ad strategy. So when you're working to select these platforms, like, how do you delineate across, like, what makes sense for which client and, like, what what folds into your strategy? I mean, you really need to know where your fans are and who, and who your fan is from a social perspective and where they currently stand on these platforms. Um, once you can identify where your fans are consuming the product, that's how you can really hone in on, on where to spend your, your money. I mean, Spotify more than ever is investing in building out their ad products and, you know, they've made a really affordable way for artists to reach fans with their audio everywhere. You know, 30 second spots that you can, you know, serve 
So I think more and more artists are looking at their data and looking at who their fans truly are, where before we didn't have access to that information. So being able to make these like strategic choices based on act, like actual data is helping these indie artists grow exponentially faster and reach their fans like at a fa at a faster rate. So when you're doing this and you're looking at that information, if you're doing a brand partnership, you know, with an from the artist with a brand, how much of that is looking at the audience crossover and sort of like working together collaboratively with a brand to go like, hey, this is what makes the most sense for us to do. Um, whether it's like, I just think about when a, a brand is like sponsoring an ad or sponsoring a music video or whatever that might look like. Are you involved in those conversations? And then what does that look like? Yeah, definitely in my past roles, especially at the agency that I worked at, because I've sat on both sides of the table, one side of it being the brand representative looking for an influencer in either fashion or music, or actually being the person working as an artist manager or on the marketing team looking to work with brands. I think there's a really big difference between who a brand who a brand wants to align themselves with from an influencer brand perspective to who that influencer's fan base truly is and if their fan base is going to resonate with the brand, right? So a brand could have an idea of like, you know, I want to work with so-and-so artist, but really that artist's fan base isn't really a good match for the brand and it's not really going to make sense, but they're not going to know that until they're able to actually sit down, look at this influencer, break down their audience on social and really see who it is that is you know, actively engaging with that person. Um, so being able to have, you know, the tools that we now have, um, like Thuzio and, and Hyper to really dig in to who an influencer's fan base is, I think brands are now able to be more strategic with, with who they're going to spend their money with. Whereas, you know, five years ago, it was more like the Wild West and you're investing in an influencer who you hope that, you know, it's going to make sense for. Totally. And what are some ways that you found success in brand influencer relationships? I mean, you really have to go into this as a mutually beneficial partnership. It can't be that you're chasing somebody who's unwilling to post on time. You know, it really has to be an, an influencer who is looking at this from a business perspective um, and somebody who understands the brand's voice and sort of what they're looking for. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, you find out once you enter an, an agreement that an influencer is hard to wrangle and then, you know, it makes it more, more difficult to execute and then you run into issues. So I think definitely, you know, at this point, there's a lot of those relationships are built and people know that certain influencers are incredible to work with and go above and beyond and, you know, really hit the KPIs that you're setting for them um, and you know the ones that aren't. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are some uh, influencer and brand partnerships that are like ideal for you? Like I just think about how, because of course, a lot of us who work in social, we've done a lot of the very like clear sort of, hey, we just need three posts or whatever that, that looks like. Um, as someone who works with people who are influencers on a regular basis, what's sort of like the dream from your perspective of working with a brand to do something that is a little bit more, it goes a little bit more deep than just a few posts here and there? I mean, I think I think Sprite has really gone above and beyond to really invest in like the hip hop community, especially in, in, in music. And I think the rollout that they've done with putting like legacy rap lyrics on cans and like the full rollout with TV ads and like I think their whole campaign has been really awesome. I think there are certain 
certain brands on social who have really found their voice and you see those brands popping up in pop culture and really becoming a part of like the conversation like Taco Bell and Wendy's and just seeing how those in-house teams have leveraged like their tone and like their their messaging and how you know younger demographics who really could just look at that and see it as corny but are you know taking taking that content and running with it I think seeing that really shows you like the potential of what you can do yeah one thing that I love about that is that and I hear this in a lot of conversations where brands or agencies or whatever their goal is to like feel authentic right and I cringe every time I hear that just because I'm like no it's not that it should feel that way it like should actually be authentic right because as human beings, we do have that, um, what is it? Malcolm Gladwell wrote that book, Blank, right? And I just think about our ability, even if we don't have the words to describe why something feels corny to us or feels like it's too, like, try hard, mm-hmm. you know? Um, we may not have the language to describe why, but we know in a millisecond when even just a person in our friend group is trying hard, right? Like, when somebody's acting up and you're kind of like what are you doing we can spot that in a brand also and so I think for people for the goal should be that like hey we need to really really understand who our like consumer base is and what is authentic to them and what will resonate with them versus just trying to feel authentic and like copy an aesthetic that we see out there in the world or copy like a vibe or sort of a trend but instead go like oh what makes the most sense for us to like build this in a truly meaningful and mutually beneficial way, like you're saying, as possible. What do you think the hardest part of your job is? I think I think music is so different when it comes to strategy because music fans are so passionate and they will sniff out the inauthenticity very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think the hardest thing is that you're marketing something that people don't have to buy. You know, like, you know, you know, the the fans who are going to take that extra action and have the intent to purchase or, you know, follow, um, you really have to work with the artists to really get their voice and get their tone down because the second that you become a salesperson and you're tweeting, you know, click here to buy my album, but it's not coming from your (laughs) authentic voice, you know, fans immediately get that cringe and they get turned off. Rightfully so. Yeah. Because it does, that is something I've thought a lot about, like when I hear friends who work in music about marketing their music and they want my help. It's not that I'm unwilling to help. I literally, it's such a mystery to me because it also, like you're saying, really does depend so much on that artist's persona and like who they are and what's normal to them. Because it feels very different when somebody like Lil Nas X says, hey, I made a new song versus like if you were to see that same tweet from somebody like David Crosby, feels weird. Right. You know, because it's not weird for Lil Nas X to go like, hey, like in his fun, cute, adorable way. Sure. I made a new song. But when you have somebody who's a legacy artist who's been around for a long time, who, you know, like something like Twitter isn't like, in their everyday sort of um, toolbox of what they would potentially be using as a human versus even somebody in that same age range, like Cher. Mm -hmm. She's on Twitter all the time, like crazy. She's incredible. She's amazing. Amazing. On Twitter, I'm like, oh, my God, Cher. Like, I – because for so long I was like, yeah, she's cool, whatever. But then her Twitter, I was like, you're so much fun. I mean, looking (laughs) at an artist like Crosby who I got to work with to really embrace – 
and leverage his social and seeing how he has taken Twitter and has owned it and says what he means and says how he feels and, you know, he'll tweet that somebody's album is super basic. Um, really? You know, he really... That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think because he's so authentic and he has that platform to share his voice, I think, I think you know, he was able to release his last album and he's, like, still touring like crazy and he's been able to stay relevant, you know, this long into his totally. career. What are, um, what are some of your favorite artists to follow on Twitter? Like, whether you've worked with them or not, like, who do you think does an amazing job on social? Uh, do- I mean, Doja Cat is everything to me. Agreed. I've been following her like crazy. Um, I, oh, man, it's so hard because I feel like I follow so many people who I'm just like, this is, this is it. I mean, obviously, like, Cardi from the beginning had yeah. em- embraced it like crazy. Well, um, because also she's somebody... I find her so fascinating specifically because she's somebody that so many people loved as a persona. And then and then she started making music and then more people started following her. But, like, really, her fan base, sure, people love her music, but they love her. Right. And so seeing her shine through her music as sort of the vehicle to get more Cardi is what's so rad and, like, really exciting. And so if you, even if you didn't follow her before her music, you listen to her music, and then you started following her, then you start going, like, oh, wow, this is, like, really for real you. And then you start learning more about her. Because I didn't really follow her before her music. Right. I kind of had heard about her, whatever. I thought she was, like, I thought she was cool. I was, like, oh, you're, like, someone I would be friends with. Like, you're amazing. And then her music came out. I was, like, oh, damn, and I really like your music. Now I'm going to, like, see what's up with you more and, like, watch your stories. But she is somebody that, like, you're really following for her persona. And, like, I wouldn't say her music is secondary, but it's literally almost just, like, another way to get to know her. Mm -hmm. Versus some artists, most artists, I would venture to say, that I even love. I don't really feel the need to get to know. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I like your music. But unless you're, like, super funny, what am I falling for? Other than tour dates, you I th- know? I think there are also a lot of younger artists right now who are leveraging their social to do good. Um, there's Which a lot of awesome. artists out of Chicago right now, like uh, P- Pivot Gang, uh, No Name, who literally just like tweeted a book yeah. that she loved and then just launched an entire like initiative to have her own book club. Which I is mean, beautiful. It's beautiful. There are there are there are artists who are really are really doing incredible things with a platform that's free and that you know you're seeing that you really can make make a change and. And if we're not in an era anymore, like, I vividly remember in the early aughts and 90s when artists were told, like, hey, we don't want to hear your political point of view. Mm-hmm. Like, stick to what you know and do music, right? And granted, there are still moments where we may feel that way about certain people. Mm-hmm. But for people like No Name, and I, I don't know if you've been following what Vic Mensa has been doing, but, um, like, with him and holding those uh, concerts, like, to protest ICE and stuff like that, like, I think that that is so cool because it's taking a very and I've said this for years especially after seeing Odd Future live a few times like to see the sort of spirit of punk carried across like what are like more typical genres and seeing that very like rage against the machine vibe brought out is like beautiful and being able to see people that are like hey I can do more than make music also I like give a shit about the world around me I think I think younger artists are realizing that it, that there there has to be more than just you know 
just the pro like just the product that they're putting out there has to be more of a story around what they're doing in order to really get get seen yeah um I think more than ever artists careers are really in their own hands and they're able to be independent and you know be really creative and it, it doesn't cost a ton of money and I think I think the ones who have really embraced that are the ones who are shining yeah, agreed. Did you see, have you followed what, like, show me, do you know Show Me the Body by any chance? No. They're, like, one of my favorite bands of recent years. Okay. Like, on opposite ends of the spectrum. Like, them and Girlpool are, like, two of my favorite bands okay. of recent years. But Show Me the Body did this thing, because a lot of their music's very political, and, like, sort of their vibe is very just sort of, like, middle finger to the man vibe. And they, on tour, released this, like, PDF so that people could do a, um, like, get their logo and then paint it up around and then you could win free tickets by putting their logo up around your city so they basically had mobilized their fan base to put their logo all around the cities that they were touring to win free tickets to the show so you would see like their logo on like u-haul box trucks like for sure vandalism but for sure it was very badass i was like damn that's and to release the blueprint like that and not just go like hey figure out our logo on your own but to release the thing so that you could like properly scale it to like put up pasters or paint it wherever you want. I thought that was super, super cool. Guerrilla marketing is still a huge thing. And I mean, people love to street team, especially in music and those sorts of activations. I feel like I see more and more now. Um, and you, I feel like it... I feel like it's easy to forget that, like, that's also an incredible way to, like, reach fans. Totally. And is that ever a part of um, the strategies that you work on? I have in my past, yes. Yeah. And do you, do you have, like, an appetite to continue working and, like, folding that into strategies? Or is that in, like, a different department? No. I mean, absolutely. Um, I have an idea that I'm just waiting for the right artist that I want to roll out. But the basic idea – I don't know if I, if I actually want to share this. That's okay. But basically think of, like, color by numbers – on a mural scale in every major city where each fan is able to like take a paintbrush and paint like their piece of this bigger mural that ends up being a reveal. Oh Jordan, that's beautiful. I know. Don't don't take it. If if, if anyone if anybody if, bites that, you are you are if done. If you hear this, just hire Jordan. Yeah. So just like find out wherever she's at and bring them on board. Just thinking of really cool ways to like have fans in markets partaking in a part of, you know, rolling out and being a part of that bigger story I think I think is what leaves fans wanting more and really builds that connection for somebody wanting to do what you do what is your recommendation to them in like today's world because I think um we're about the same age we're only a few months apart and these were not really jobs like I think we knew they existed but not as they exist now when mm -hmm. we were in college or starting off in our careers they were they looked very different then um, and so in today's world, for somebody who's perhaps in college or in like an entry level position, what are some sort of like recommendations that you would have for them to get into what you do? I mean, look, I'm almost 10 years into working in music. Um, my first job I got out of college was at Live Nation. I got laid off after six months. I didn't know what I was going to do. I packed my car. I drove to L.A. And I happened to meet a guy who managed some artists in EDM and gave me my first gig making not a ton of money, but I was able to day-to-day -day manage some of like my favorite artists and got my foot in, in the door. And from there, you just have to say yes to everything. Um, I think a lot of people make choices in life based on fear. Um, and if you want to make it in this industry, you have to, A, have the passion, B, 
be have the determination and see realize that you are going to need a very 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 thick skin and people are going to tell you no a thousand times but it just takes one person to see something in you to you know help get your foot in do you feel like over the years um that being a woman in music has been like less hard than it was five ten years ago um I I wish that I could say that I yeah. mean up to this day I, I still ex- I've, I've experienced bias I've had really horrible you know things happen throughout my career um I think I think the most the most difference that there is now is that there are more people to support you and there are more people willing to listen to you and hear your voice and more people willing to hold these these issues and these people doing these things ac- accountable for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think we have a lot of a ways to go. And I think that more than ever, women in women are supporting more women in, in, in music. And there are more outlets for support. Um, and we yeah. know what that looks like. You know, like right. I, I think one of the hardest things is when you want to support somebody, but you don't really know how to. Like you can see that what is happening is wrong, but you've never seen someone stand up for someone else. And so you don't even know, you don't even have the language to like a properly address something. And there is a lot of fear around standing up for someone and then like what next, you know? And so I think now that we have more examples of what it looks like when men stand up for women and when women stand up for women and how it's as simple as saying, hey, that wasn't appropriate. When you see someone saying something to somebody else, that's all you need. Like you don't need to launch into something because it is really hard if you've never seen that before that you're like, oh, I know what I just saw was wrong, but what do I do? Right. Like what what even words do I use to let someone know that wasn't okay? Right. And so I think the more that we've seen, even in media, I think more even on TV shows and stuff now, we're seeing women stand up for other women in a way that kind of used to only happen behind closed doors. Right. Like previously, I know for sure when I started off, if something, if someone treated me inappropriately, then when everyone else left the room, someone would be like, hey, we're really sorry that happened. Completely. But no one would say anything like where it's like, well, if you were so like, don't tell me, go tell the other person they messed up. Like, thanks for the sympathy. But like, uh, say something to the person who messed up because otherwise this person's going to continue running around being a monster. Right. And here I am just being told that like, you feel bad for me. Like, bravo. Thanks. If I had known what I knew, if I knew what I had known today at 23, I think uh, my skin would have gotten a lot of, a lot thicker, very fat, very faster. Yeah. And I would have known better to be able to have called out those sorts of things in the moment. It's still hard because it it catches me off guard every time it happens. Of course. I'm always like, did they just, oh God, I think they did. Did they really mean it? Do they know what they said? Oh, they do. It's a bit late now that I've gone through these like different triages to now say something, you know, a minute and a half later, like, hey, what you said three sentences ago was not okay. But um, I do think that's important. What sort of platforms are you excited to work on? Like, have you worked on TikTok? Like, have you worked with these like sort of like emerging spaces where people are discovering music and what are you excited about so tiktok i think more than ever is so important i mean from an advertising ex- like experience they're you know they're still really early and i think we're we're going to see them over time r- rolling out you know more ways for artists to get involved with the platform mm-hmm. um i think you know 
taking into account an influencer strategy on TikTok is really important if that's where your demo is living. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think... um, especially with a lot of our a lot of these artists having more of like global penetration we're going to see a lot of these apps especially with like k-pop and the korean market specifically i think we'll start to see that cross over to the u.s Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of what i'm excited about and for things like tiktok where their um their advertising options are sort of like in a nascent stage right like they're very very early on what are ways that you've sort of tested or tried something new in a safe way and pitching that to clients. Like I think about um, when I had Genevieve on, we talked a lot about like how, you know, as marketers, we see these opportunities. However, the ability to measure success may not be there, right? Right. And how we talk to clients about like, hey, we think this is a good opportunity. Here's some of the risks. Like how have you had some of those conversations and found, well, I guess how have you found success in having those conversations before? I mean, having to explain and pitch the importance of TikTok is the same way that I had to explain the importance and pitch Twitter, you know, seven years years ago, where an artist say, you know, I don't have fans there, I don't know if I should be on it, and it's really, do you want to have a voice on this platform where your fans may be, and do you want to build in the early stages and have that presence to at least be a part of the conversation, mm-hmm. versus missing out on that opportunity altogether? Um even if you're just posting content to just start building, fo- you know, you're following from scratch, you're, you're making more steps in the right direction than doing n- nothing at all. That's kind of like my thought. Yeah, that's a good, I think that's a very good example because it is also really difficult once we've sort of gotten on a platform like as users and gotten settled in who we follow we're much more likely to follow somebody when we're also new to the platform. Sure. But once we've been there for a while, like it takes an extra oomph, right? Like you really, people that you choose to follow after you've been on a platform for a few years really need to add value to your feed for you to follow them. And you're not really looking for anybody new to follow because you're, you've sort of curated your feed the way that you want it. Sure. And so I think that, that is a really good point of like, Hey, do you, do you want to have this as, if you don't do this now, you won't have the option later. Like it'll be an uphill battle later Right. versus if you just exist here. Like, that's a better thing than not existing at all. Right. And I mean, if you look at, like, Instagram and, like, advertising on social right now, I mean, it's completely, like, saturated. Right. Um, I feel like you're able to have, at least if you're going to advertise, you know, still on Twitter or, you know, make the larger investment on TikTok, at least your your share of voice is a little bit more heard. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why I think it's more important than ever, especially for established artists to constantly still be looking at new platforms and new technology and you know cooler new ways to really like find your fans especially if your fans are younger right like it may be very different if your fans are sort of in like the boomer age range right. but like maybe it doesn't make maybe it's not a good use of your time and energy for that um but sort of on the opposite end of the spectrum with new artists and emerging artists where have you found the most success for them in terms of like building an audience and like building new fans So, I mean, at the end of the day, Instagram and Facebook are going to be your bread and butter. Mm -hmm. Um, I think more than ever, you know, having your Instagram branded, your links up to date, you know, having that multi-retailer link where fans can choose where to stream or or consume or watch your videos, I think it's more important than ever. I think being able to have 
an official website that's easy to find and navigate as old school as that may seem. I think a lot of artists forget that when people are searching for you on Google, they're trying to find that sort of home base and their default is either going to look at your Facebook page or look at your you know, official website or your Instagram to sort of like validate your presence and, and, and your brand. So I sort of look at your official website as like your online billboard. And even if it's as simple as just having up like a basic splash page, you mm-hmm. know, you don't have to spend $10,000 and build out a whole a whole website. Right. I think just having that billboard there is an essential thing that sometimes these artists forget. Definitely. And then in terms of ad formats, have you seen like any particular combination of ad formats or anything work really well for new artists? I think it's important to really take your ad dollars and divide them up. I think I think you don't want to focus too much on one platform. I think if you have, you know, your your 100 bucks to invest, maybe take 30 and spend it on your Facebook to increase the awareness of your new posts. Maybe you take 30 and do an Instagram story, you know, maybe you take 30 and you want to put out a visual a visualizer or a music video and you want to promote that to new fans on YouTube. Um, I think you really have to look at this from a a multi-tiered approach and make sure that your other efforts on social and even online and and offline and out of house are all sort of aligned and driving to the same place. That makes a lot of sense. So you are starting a new job very soon and by the time this episode's come out I think you may have already started. Yeah totally. I'm Um, very excited. I'm excited for you as I don't know. It's exciting because uh, you've missed home a lot. You're from Florida. I am from Florida. You're moving back. You give Florida a good name. You know, I grew up in Boca Raton, and I always knew that I'm, at the end of the day, I I love to grind. I love to be in the big city, but I'm really just a beach bum. And (laughs) after working with these legacy Latin artists these last, like, two years, I've really realized that, like, I absolutely love my life in Florida and I think South Florida is so special and getting to move to Miami at the end of of this year and really, you know, be back in my element and working in the genres that make my heart sing. I think I'm really gonna, you know, kill it. Um, what, because, you know, finding a new job and applying and all that stuff is hard and then moving is hard. How are you planning to move? Because I think that's something we don't get to talk a lot about on this podcast is like um, a lot of times I'm talking to people about their current work and rarely we get to talk about transitions and you are transitioning. What does that look like from like a planning perspective for you? And like, what are you most nervous about and what are you most excited about? So my last couple cross country moves, my first time I packed my car and drove out West like a gypsy with no real plan. So I was like 20, (laughs) I was 22 and my ego was bigger than my body. Um, (laughs) when I moved from LA to New York, uh, a family member of mine was diagnosed with cancer and I just knew my heart needed to be with my family. So I had put all of my clothing and like immediate belongings in FedEx boxes, UPS ground boxes, and everything was shipped to the East Coast. Um, My ex-boyfriend at the time uh, sold all of my furniture and I just, I ended up landing at, at my sibling's house here in New York City and finding a place to live and rebuilding that way. Um, I think because I had those two very extreme moves and those experiences, I think I'm so calm, cool, and like collected for this move down south. Um, 
UPS ground is incredible. And I think that at the end of the day, furniture is just furniture and you, you just, you sell, you sell what you can, you keep yes. what you want and things are just things. I could not agree with you more on that. Yeah. I oftentimes find that people are so shocked that I don't move my furniture and that I just sell it. And I cannot explain enough how wonderful that is to be done, like to not move furniture. I think it saves a lot of headspace and stress and all that stuff, and, like, you can always, I promise you, no matter where you go, find, like, a used couch and bookshelf and whatever nonsense you need to fill your apartment, and it will be fine, and it is not scary. Maybe don't get your used couch from, like, a a curb, but um, you can find, like, very reputable dealers in Facebook Marketplace and all that, and you can, and it's honestly more eco-friendly than shipping around. I think so, too. All this stuff, and it's, yeah, it's, it, moving can be a lot, but I think in comparison to your other moves, this will be very, especially because, like, presumably you negotiated to have them help you with your move. She's nodding. I am yes. nodding, yes. <laughs> Which is very helpful because that is a very different ball game. Like, I've never had a company, like, move me, partially because I'm also, like, afraid of commitment. So the idea of having to commit to, like, the two years or whatever, I just am like, no, 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 I don't know about that. So, um, yeah, so that's very exciting. Um yeah, I think we already covered what you're most excited about for the new role. Yeah. Um, you switched from your previous role, and you, you had the goal, you'd mentioned this before, that you had the goal of being a product manager by yes. the end of this year. Um, what is a product manager to you? Like, what does that mean? To me, it is the role that is sort of like the central brain of any of any team of any organization, you have to be able to communicate with different types of people cross-functionally, be able to be very organized and, you know, really lay out the process for how these things should be done and know how to prioritize based on past experience and, you know, really having an overall knowledge of the whole landscape and being able to sort of bridge the gap between teams that may not have that sort of, you know, time to communicate. And how is that different? Because I did interned at a management firm in college, and that was sort of the direction that they were going in at the time, because digital was also becoming newer to that group. You know, um, how is what you're doing different than what a brand, like an artist manager does? So the thing, I mean, with artist management and the roles that I've had in my past doing that, it's much different. You're so much more personal. You're dealing with a creative spirit and you're dealing with the emotional side of working with an artist and knowing how to work with somebody who may not know the importance of the business side of music and being able to be really sensitive and work with them to get things done that they may not want to to do Mm -hmm. and also having the insight and the wherewithal and like knowing how to guide an artist and who the right resources are to reach out to and when you need to bring in you know PR and when you need to bring in those other sets of hands Mm -hmm. versus you know working in an internal organization as a product manager on the other side yeah Um, you're not really dealing with that level of like being that personal uh-huh. Um, and you're also not managing people. Right. So then what you're doing is, um, in terms of product management, is that does that mean that it's more like album-based and release-based Absolutely. versus overall? Okay. 
very cool. I thought so, but I just wanted to, like that clarity both for myself and for listeners. So the interesting thing I think about product roles and position and any product class that you'll take is that you'll learn that product manager and product in general is a very it's a very like ubiquitous vague term right now and people even within these roles are still defining exactly what their jobs are and mm-hmm. I think within every or- organization it's a it's a little bit different. Um, I have an older sibling who is a group product manager at a global company and I know that his day-to-day and sort of what he executes and the people that he work with works with is very different than what I'm going to be doing from this per, you know this perspective. And was this move um, in what you do was this move like a very clear sort of next step because I know like I think about when you're a strategist that typically then the next role is like senior strategist or you know, there's not really, unless you're going to go start your own company, it's sort of like you just become a senior strategist or like a group strategy director. Yeah. In what you do, was this like a pretty clear next step or did you have to package up your experience to go like, this is what I've essentially been doing just with a different title? So I think all of my past roles, whether it's was in day-to-day artist management and social media and digital strategy and ads, all of those skill sets and all of that knowledge sort of lends itself to being able to, you know, look at these projects and have a clear overview of what needs to get done Mm -hmm. um, and being able to advise these labels and their management really with that with that end goal in sight of how to be strategic with our dollars and where our story is going to resonate the most I think that's the difference so now that you bring up labels I'm thinking about it how come labels aren't doing this in-house or are they they are they are they are okay and then how have you seen independent artists who have their own team outside of a label who are also doing this and like hiring you know companies like the companies you've been at or is it only labels okay yes I mean, there are third-party companies that just, you know, specialize in marketing and artist services. There are distributors now who are launching their own in-house labels and artist services team to compete with the major, to compete with the major labels. Like, there's a whole new landscape in music that, you know, everyone clearly sees a need for label services and those, and those artist needs. So in order to be competitive and for everyone to have the greatest market share that they can these people are all realizing that they need to be cross-functional and you know have those teams in place or else they're going to lose these artists to their competitors or the artists to themselves because I can't remember who it was but there was god there's a rapper recently oh my god I want to say his name is Young Dolph okay who I think and I could totally have his name wrong because I was watching a bunch of videos at once but um a good friend of mine was showing me and he was like look this guy literally did everything for his own album and his own release and like having as somebody who does my own creative pursuits and then as someone who's also worked on the strategic end of things as well as management and PR I just can't even I'm like oh my god his his apartment or studio or whatever must look like a beautiful mind because as one person like that's a lot to roll out on your own and so I I just have so much respect for artists who do it independently um, because I think I mean, A, it's just really hard. That's why it is people like your like full-time job, right? And B, I think it's also, um, it's really hard to take responsibility completely for the success of something. Right. That's really scary and really difficult. Right. Um, All right. I think 
Except for the last question, I think that's all I've got, Jordan. Oh my god, that was so fun. This was so fast. Thank we really you. hammered out a bunch of Q and A. I mean, um, I'm impressed. This is what we get for having coffee and then immediately jumping into 100%. this. Hundred percent. Where did we go? Shout out to what was it, Springworks or something? Oh man, where did we just go get coffee? That place was bomb. That place was good. The our barista had a really beautiful leopard jacket that I wanted very badly from him, and. We are in Greenpoint. Oh, shout out Sweet Leaf Coffee That's Roasters. That's what it was. Sweet Leaf. I knew it started with an S. Springworks. What am I talking about? Sweet Leaf. Crazy lady. Sweet Leaf. Shout out to Sweet Leaf. So, as you know, this podcast is all about the behind the scenes of people, final products, etc. What is something that you would want to hear a future episode on? Um, I think more than ever, Although people try to say that physical and music may be outdated, I know this year vinyl has outsold CDs and other forms of, of physical than in years past. I think it'd be really interesting to hear from somebody who works at a pressing plant because they are so far and few in between um, and really learning what it takes to create a physical product and like create the vinyl. Okay, that's so interesting. So... God, what are some pressing plants that, that you know of? Do you know of any? None. I can Google them. Um, so, and in terms of, like, how they work with, because I imagine they have to work with a label to figure that out and then figure out, like, they need to get sent the album art. But then I've also seen, like, my friend Fences, his physical records were, like, all sort of, like, different colors and stuff. And Is that what you're interested in? And, yeah, like, literally, like, like how that... Oh, I wonder if I can find one. Like I can get us a tour together. Yeah. If I got us a tour of one, would you be down to come Absolutely. with me? Absolutely. Ah, we're planning a trip. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on. Thanks I for really appreciate me. it. Um, can you plug where you're going next? I don't think you said the name of the company. I'm going to 1RPM. Amazing. Uh, and I'm very excited. Do you know what Axia will be working on? Uh, I can't share, but U.S., Latin, and, and, and urban. Beautiful. I'm so happy for you. Thank and you. And thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. That was super fun, and I am so embarrassed that it took me this long to release this episode. This was literally recorded in October of 2019. What an optimistic time it was. Well, maybe not that optimistic, but certainly we did not know a pandemic was looming around the corner. If you enjoyed this conversation, please do share it. Feel free to tweet it out, share your favorite parts, share this podcast with people, share this episode with someone who might be interested in Jordan's line of work and learning from this conversation and just the independent artists in your life. She shared a lot of really helpful information when it comes to understanding what matters in the ecosystem of music. And especially when it comes to brand partnerships, I think that that segment of our conversation is really important for anyone seeking a partnership or looking for an artist to partner with. Again, if you would like to support this podcast, you can become a monthly supporter at anchor.fm slash BTS podcast. There's a link in the description of this episode, along with the promo codes for some of my favorite services. Again, they are Hotel Tonight, which the promo code is LCOOK61. Soothe, which brings massages to you wherever you are. You can use code LZLRZ. And I have been listening to audiobooks with Libro. I use Breaker to listen to podcasts because I like the playlist feature. And for audiobooks, I prefer Libro. They partner up with Bookshop, which supports independent bookstores. And so it feels a lot better to be buying books from them instead of Amazon via Audible. 
Right now, I am listening to Maria Hinojosa's Once I Was You, and it is fantastic. 10 out of 10 recommend. Use the referral link in the description of this episode. I wish I had a promo code that's easy to share with you, but I don't. But if you go in the description, you'll see a link. A few months ago, I had the great joy of listening to N.K. Jemison's The City We Became, which was terrific. And Kaolin Hughes, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her first name right, Orchid and the Wasp, I also enjoyed that. They're both really good, very, very different books. And if you're interested, there's a really great talk with Kaylin Hughes on the Toxic Google YouTube channel that I recommend. Um, I really enjoyed it. And she just pointed out a few things about life as a woman in the world that really resonated with me. Anyways, thank you again for listening to this episode. Please do follow the podcast, subscribe, rate, review, all of the good things that help this podcast stay afloat. Huge thank you to the people who support this podcast on a monthly basis. Thank you, Camillo and Idris. And thanks to Benjamin Batherum for the music on this podcast.